Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is someone that I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while. His name is Todd Herman, and he's an author, performance advisor, and entrepreneur uh, for 22 years. His training company, uh, Herman Performance Systems, has focused on helping high achievers and ambitious people in sports and business achieve wildly outrageous goals while enjoying the process, which hopefully is <laughs> hopefully is what we're all aiming for, really. Uh, who doesn't want to enjoy the process? Uh, originally, he is from Alberta, Canada. Actually, he's actually, we talked about this before uh, our call. Him and I uh, lived only a few hours apart when we grew up, uh, where he grew up on a large farm and ranch where he developed a healthy dislike for chicken coops, uh, which I don't blame because those things smell real bad. Uh, his company has a suite of programs serving Olympic athletes, entrepreneurs, and leaders. And he is the author of The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life, and the creator of The 90-Day Year, a performance system designed to create remarkable results for business owners fast. So Todd and I get into a few different topics on this call, We, uh, on this interview, sorry, I don't know why I call it a call. Um, but in this interview, we dive into the ego, uh, talk about what it actually is. Uh, we talk about creating an alter ego and how many uh, professional athletes, uh, many high achievers that that have you know done some incredible things in in business and entrepreneurship actually use this methodology. There's actually he it's really, really fascinating because he has uh, done some research and, and has some uh, good examples like Bo Jackson, which he talks about, and uh, a few other athletes and, and entrepreneurs who actually use the process of, of creating or using an alternate ego, an alternate sense of identity and personality to achieve incredible results when they feel like their personal identity, their own identity, isn't maybe capable or able uh, or or has the right tools or equipment to achieve the desired results that they are looking for. And it's such a fascinating topic because as we get into, we we actually talk about how malleable the identity and the ego actually are and how well this methodology can serve us in wanting to embody, wanting to uh, wanting to embody uh, the type of results that we want to produce, but but also, uh, getting ourselves into action, getting ourselves out of a funk, uh, getting ourselves um, out of maybe some unhealthy bad habits. Uh, I think we, you know, we we could all <laughs> do with that. I know, I know, a lot of us would love that. Um, but also, how we can focus our energies and our attention and our awareness towards producing the type of results that would be incredibly rewarding and fulfilling for us. Uh, so. This is a really cool topic, and I'm sure uh, you know by the end of it. Hopefully, you've got you know taken some great notes. But also, uh, if you'd like to have Todd back on, feel free to reach out to me because I feel like him and I only scratched the surface to some of this dialogue. So feel free to reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook. Uh, whatever your platform is, you can feel free to email me, Connor at mantalks.com, and let me know if you'd like to have him back on or someone like him to discuss this topic further. Also, as a quick reminder for all the guys out there, head on over to Man Talks Community. 
um, on Facebook, some really, really great conversations as of late. That community seems to just be the, the quality, not, not necessarily, you know, we don't have 50,000 guys in there, but the quality of the conversation truly is exceptional. And, and then I'm really excited to announce that uh, I've launched a men's weekend and it's going to fill up quickly as it already is filling up. Uh, but at the end of May, we have rented out a, in a, a complete space and we're going to be doing some men's work and we are going to be working on helping the men that join us uh, find a deeper sense of clarity on their life purpose, on the direction that they want to take their life. Because uh, a lot of the men that come and work with me are going through a transition and how to deepen the connection with your partner, how to um, basically fix the relationship that you're in if, if it's become stagnant or if the intimacy has sort of uh, you know waned or, or fallen off, um, but how to overcome conflict with your partner and show up more grounded, more present, less reactive, and basically a just a better man, a better leader, a better father, a better husband. So if you're interested in that, head on over to mantalks.com and uh, check out the men's weekend. Feel free to apply uh, if it's you know if it looks right for you, and you and I will jump on a quick call to see if you're a good fit and if it's a good fit for you in your life. So that's it. That's all I have for you today. And without further delay, please welcome Mr. Todd Herman. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited for this. This is a long time coming. I know, I know, man. I'm I'm really excited. I've I've heard so many great things about you through through the you know just through the people that we know and. And uh, I've been following along your work for a while. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you here today. And I know that you're going to add just a ton of value to the listeners. Yeah, well, I'm excited to jump in with you. Wonderful, man. So let's let's get started with the big question, which is tell us a story, a, a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Well, there's a lot like anybody. Um, I, I think to kind of maybe step into the shallow end first instead of jumping into a, the deep end. Uh, one would be, so I grew up on a, I live here in New York City, but I grew up on a big farm and ranch outside of Medicine Hat, Alberta, just across the border from Montana. My parents knew that I was definitely not going to be the, the kid who came back to the farm and, and took it over. I had two older brothers that were far more interested than I was. And I'm always, I've always been a very outgoing, a gregarious person and probably the one of our group of uh, siblings that was most susceptible to maybe fast talking people, so to speak, you know, like charismatic folk. Anyways, I was in the, I was in the corrals with my dad one day. Uh, we were um, separating cattle out, getting ready to send them off to different pastures that we had. And we took a quick little break and we grabbed a, a pop soda for the Americans listening. We were sitting, leaning up against the fence. And he said to me, uh, you see that piece of cow shit over there? And I said, yeah, I see that piece of cow shit. And he said, uh, well, you can take a piece of cow shit, wrap it in a red ribbon, but it's still a piece of cow shit. And in, in, in almost like <laughs> quintessential, like perfect metaphorical form, he crushed up his can and just tossed it over onto the lawn where we would grab it later and kind of walked away. And what, what he meant because we talked about it later was, you know, you're going to, you're going to be the one who travels the world definitely. And you're going to meet a lot of people who are dressed in three piece suits wearing pocket squares and all that kind of stuff, or they're going to look a certain way, but make sure you look past that red ribbon that's wrapped around people because that might be, just be a piece of shit in a, in a, in a disguise kind of thing. And I've never forgotten that. I've shared that on stages with people. Um, and, you know, when I first started out, I did a lot of talks to like college kids and I had people that would reach out seven years later and they would say to me, I was, after I got, after I graduated, 
I was sitting across from someone at a big company that I wanted to work for. And I just looked, I just, I couldn't stop thinking this is just someone with a red ribbon wrapped around them, or this is a business or an organization that's got a red ribbon wrapped around it. And this is not where I want to be. So just as like mm. a great frame of reference, always, that is always kind of what has helped me maybe avoid hasn't happened every single time. There's always people that sneak through, but, um, just carrying that, you know, it's a classic. You can take the, uh, the boy from the farm, but you can't take the farm from the boy. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that, man. You know, I think it really embodies the, the message of, and, and just the action of almost like bringing people down off the pedestals yeah. that we put yeah. them on. Right. Like 100%. we're, we're so quick to, we're so quick to idolize and pedestal yeah. people in our world. And I see a lot of people doing it in, you know, especially in the sports space and, and personal development yeah. space and, and, you know, the entrepreneurial space. And, uh, that's such a, such an incredible reminder. And it, and it ties in beautifully with a lot of the work that you do in and around yeah. ego. And, and it's actually something that I wanted to talk fairly heavily about because, you know, I think a lot of guys are trying to understand their ego that, you know, you, you have this concept around the alter yeah. ego effect. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of guys are, are, especially now in the modern day time are trying to find this balance of how do I be confident without looking like an egotistical mm -hmm. maniac or, you know, looking like an asshole. Mm -hmm. So where, like in, in, in your years of, of doing this work and speaking on stages and, and working with yeah. athletes and entrepreneurs, how have you, how have you really seen and started to understand the ego? Like to a layman, how would you explain the ego? Well, I think just one thing I want to share with people that I know individuals struggle with is do not apologize for your greatness. Like, don't apologize for the fact that you might be really amazing at what it is that you do. Don't apologize for that. And uh, I think that uh, the idea of humility, being humble, has been taken to such an extreme that people have actually, I think imposter syndrome is mm. even more per pervasive now than ever before. And a lot of that is just from the social world that we live inside of where people are creating highlight reels on social media um, and maybe fabricating some sort of identity online that isn't a representation of, you know, maybe who they really feel they are on the inside, not because mm -hmm. they think that they're being fake, but because maybe they're doing something because they think that that's what they're supposed to be doing, not because it's what they want to be doing. Right. Mm. And, and so, you know, this, uh, I, I'm actually someone because I'm a performance person, like I've been working with people on performance, like whether that's pro athletes, Olympic athletes, public figures, entertainers, leaders in business or, or what have you. Um, and, and a lot of my work is obviously rattling around in between the six inches of the ears, you know, and, and giving people tools and strategies so that they can get out there onto the field of play, whatever that is for them and truly draw out as much of their capabilities as possible in that moment where they're performing, whether that's showing up for a presentation and rocking the presentation and not, you know, playing down to the fact that they think that they're not good presenters. That, that's, that's a narrative that isn't true. You might not have every single skill set of Winston Churchill or Martin Luther King, but at the end of the day, you do have a lot of innate qualities that would allow you to be a great presenter. So I'm, I, this, this comes back around to your question of the ego is 
I'm not someone who likes to go in and tries to dissect it too much because I think it's a dangerous thing. It's a, it's a, it's a rabbit hole that people fall down and then it creates mm. a lot of wasted time and resistance builds up. The answers for most of us don't sit on the couch reflecting a lot. They, the answers are, are on the field of play in taking action and tasting life and really understanding that at our core, the intrinsic motivators that are built inside of us, those things like exploration, you know, exploring the world around us. That's why, and, and, and there's no better group of people to just watch intrinsically be motivated because they're just locked in the process is babies and children right? Like when the baby comes out of the womb and it's laying in its crib and its hands are going everywhere, it's exploring the world around it, trying to create some sense of it all, right? And map it, you know, that's, that's an intrinsic motivation to explore things. But what people do then is they, they get caught up in worrying about, well, I'm exploring this, but oh, how's that going to look to someone else? The moment that you start to create your habits and your actions and your behaviors based on the environment that you're in, the circumstances, the situation, the people that you're around, the moment you're doing it because of those things that are out there in the external world, it creates what I call, I talk about in the book that you kind of re- reference a little bit with alter egos. You know, I've got a book that's coming out or probably out by the time this is out called the alter ego effect. But I, I say that this creates what I call the trapped self where you're now doing things because of someone or something else, as opposed to honoring the fact that there is another more, way more powerful motivator that we have intrinsically that can allow us to get out onto our world and really feel like it's our heroic self getting out there because you're operating from the place of what you want to be doing and what you know that you're capable of, despite what maybe someone else might think you can do. So hmm. uh, just kind of after talking about that, is I just... Um, by going in and trying to dissect too much of people's ego and I'm not a qualified therapist and I would all, you know, just obviously doing the work that I do, I'm working with people and I'm rattling around inside the head and I'll, you know, when you're poking and prodding, you're going to find a sensitive spot. And so 82% of my clients in, you know, pro sport, Olympic sport, uh, even in business, I would always end up having to refer them to uh, a therapist because there would be something that I would find but I'm not qualified to handle that. But that didn't mean that I needed to have that person sit on the sidelines and have that thing, you know, be cured and fixed before they got back out on the field, right? There's, st- there's still other strategies and that's where, you know, using an alter ego w- would help people. But with, with the work that I've done around just the, this idea of the ego, I can tell people that really when you're working with really high-performing elite people, they have a fantastic super ego. They have this super ego yeah. where, you know, and I'll give you an example. One of the top so- soccer players on the planet, you know, worked with him for several years and he just fundamentally felt internally that it was offensive to him that the other players were walking onto the pitch with him because they were nowhere near the quality of his skill set. And I mean, that sounds like it's so egotistical. He didn't say that in press conferences, right? Like you got to remember, I am having personal one-on-one conversations with people and I I really want to know how Mm -hmm. someone thinks. 
you know, and I'm challenging. I know you don't believe that because your results are telling me that you don't believe that because that sounds like someone, something that someone average in your sport would say. What are you really thinking about the competitors that you're up against? And just one day he was like, he's like, listen, I just fundamentally believe that these people shouldn't be out there. And it's offensive to me that they're out there with me. And I am going to do my very best to put the mirror up against them and just show them how much more work they have to put in in order to even reach my cleats of my boots. And I'm like, yeah, well, we don't want to polish that away because <laughs> you're going to go down as one of yeah. the greatest soccer players of all time. But, but, but other people would never think that of this person. And, and, that's, and that's okay. Yeah. It's just, there's so much nuance to, to who we are as human beings. And my great issue with and you know we we talked a little bit before about this this the the kind of industry of helping people and change. My greatest issue with the, the self help personal development leadership world is that it's almost like people are trying to turn others into pablum and oatmeal, tasteless, colorless, just bland human beings. Like what's so wrong with having you know a mm. bit of an edge to you? And in fact, the people who typically get on with life and do big things, um, they, they are not walking with the masses. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many things that stood out about you, you know, what you just said in, in that area, but I think it's so true. You know, we live in a time where we are very polarized, right? Our culture, our societies, our cities, our uh, democracy is very polarized, and and the people leading those charges are sort of you know at, at the forefront, the, you know the, their their message, their uh, their not ego, but their messages is really yeah. uh, sort of yeah. contrasting to what the norm is, and 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 so too are the people who are leading yes. the charge for for good for healing, you know whether that's whether that's in sports, whether that's in personal development, whether that's in entrepreneurship, but those are the people that that aren't afraid to take a bit of a stand and they're not afraid to be a bit edgy and say controversial things because they because they know that it, it's needed. One of the things that you know I loved about your about your site. Uh, you know, I was I was kind of uh, stalking you mildly. You're just a good researcher, Connor. That's not stalking. That's just a good researcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I loved about your site that that made you stand out for me personally was, uh, you know, on your about page, I think it said something mm -hmm. or, or under the professionally under the professional category. It said exceptionally good at high performance yeah. coaching, yeah. Uh, high performing coaching and advisory. And I thought, yeah, like that's. That's that's actually important, you know. That's actually important, yeah. and we need to stop apologizing for being good at things. You know, I think that so often in our modern culture, it's like, oh, no. don't shine too yeah. bright because you might you might get in the way of or yeah. offend someone who is insecure or not confident yeah. about what you know where they're at in their life, and and unfortunately, that hinders people. And I see it all the time with really great. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys that I work with that are entrepreneurs and, and business owners and, you know, professionals who are trying to make progress in their life, you know, in their relationship and as fathers and leaders, but they're concerned with uh, what everybody around them thinks and is going to say about them if they actually own the fact that they are good at something. So how do you address that with, with clients? How do you actually say, own, own this part of your greatness? Well, I mean, it's going to be dependent upon the personality type that I have in front of me. But depending on the person, I mean, uh, I'll give you an example with with um, with someone recently. 
I, I knew that they had the intestinal fortitude for me to kind of say this to them. But I just said to them, I said, what, what you're talking about is actually offensive to me. The, the fact that you are just recounting how you show up small in a couple of other, in a couple areas of your life that are really important to you that you don't want to show up small in, I, that's offensive to me because I, I surround myself with people that are doing good things and are good people. And I think it's an obligation of mine personally to make sure that I leave this world a half a percentage point better, whatever that might be in whatever area. And so the fact that you're playing, that, that, is, that is not helping me. That doesn't help me by you playing small because I know that the world could have a brighter color because you playing bigger. And, and, and so I was making it personal about me. Like, again, any good story or anytime you're doing an advertisement of something, right? It's never, you should never say, you know, 10 million people are dying of famine right now. No, you tell the story of the one child who's dying because now it's specific. So for me, I wanted, wanted to be specific around, okay, I have this meta idea of how we should all operate to, you know, make humanity better. But then I wanted to bring it out just my own personal experience. And it's, and I'm just challenging him and it sounds like it's a selfish way and 100% it is. Of course, I want the world to be better for me. And when I come across someone who has the capacity to do it, that is offensive to me. That's how I internalize it. Now, I'm not going to go home and cry in my pillow or something like that. But I, I want to challenge someone on that. It's important that they know that they have someone, an ally behind their back that is saying, no, I'm cheering you. I want you to go and do that. And screw all the people who want to try to keep you somehow muted or whatever, but just know they're only doing that because most human beings are fundamentally terrified of change. And so the only reason that they're resisting against you wanting to go and start that business or whatever is because they want to protect you in some ways. And really they want to protect themselves because they have this worldview and you're playing a role inside of it. And the moment you start taking a different action, well, that's breaking their whole stage. You know, because you're supposed to be playing that role over there on that stage. And now, listen, you're going to go play this different role. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to sort that out now. Humans do that. We are story making machines constantly. And so people that are out there and, you know, they feel like they're so concerned about what other people are, are going to think of them. Well, think of it also this way. Everyone is so caught up in their own head, worried about their own problems, that the amount of time that they spend on yours uh, isn't as much as what you may think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's good yeah. perspective. I mean, there's so many different ways and, and tools that you know we can use to to help someone get past themselves. But it's also that's this is this just goes back to the power of you know this idea of using an alter ego, which is you know we can maybe get into it later. Maybe we'll maybe we will later. So maybe I'll kind of I'll wait to kind of get into it. But this ability to suspend the disbelief about what we can and cannot do because of whatever enemy hidden force that's holding us back, personal trauma, huge one. Um, you know, yeah. trauma is a big reason why some people aren't able to get out and do the things they want to do, not because they're not trying, that's the thing, but it's because they're exhausting themselves every day with their foot on the gas, revving their engine into the red line that they just, they have no more energy left. And I mean, I can speak from that from personal experience because that's my history. I mean, I was a young, I was a young kid at the age of 12 who was um, sexually abused over the course of two days at a church camp, you know, when I was 12. And 
And that like wrecked my world. And it wasn't until just a few months ago where I finally was able to reconcile all of it and, and, and share it with people publicly. And, you know, that I carried that trauma with me for such a long time and it shaped so much of my behavior, but I was still able to go out and do and create some success for myself. But that's, that's where I found, I mean, I was, I was someone who was, you know, I attempted suicide at four different times in my life. And, you know, I was just riddled with this shame and guilt that wasn't mine to carry, but I was carrying it. I hadn't processed it. Didn't share it with anybody for 30 years that had ever happened to me until I finally just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I was a father to three young little kids. And I had so much, I could only keep that anger and rage locked away down below for so long before it was starting to really spew forth. And I just saw my little kids that were all, you know, under the age of four at the time. And I was like, well, there is not a chance in hell that I'm going to allow this stuff that's going inside of me, uh, create and project onto them. Cause they don't, they don't need secondhand trauma. And that's what many people do is the classic idea of hurt people, hurt people. And, you know, people, people understand secondhand smoke, but secondhand trauma is probably the most um, insidious thing on the planet. And it's, you know, we hold on to these things yeah. where um, we're, we uh, we won't go out and ask for help. We won't accept sometimes that it wasn't you know our fault or or whatever it might be. But you know that that idea that there's a lot of good people that have the cap- capability and the skills and everything to do amazing things, but they're just fundamentally they're they're carrying a major weight that that makes it hard for them to go. And I can tell you just the fact of someone who's and this is very new to me is sharing this publicly and then you know, the, the post that I had went pretty, went pretty viral that I feel like I've dropped thousands of pounds of weight on the sidelines of life. And it's just, there's a lot more ease with stuff now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about generational trauma, right? And that's, that's really how it does get perpetuated is that, you know, people don't want to out the people that have done it right or especially if it's especially if it's family members a lot of the people that I a lot of the guys that come and work with me you know they've they've been abused at the hands of a father or whether it's whether it's sexual or physical or emotional whatever that is and and they and they carry that weight and it, and unfortunately they're like you know oftentimes because of the culture that we that we live in or the or the beliefs that we adopt people will sort of say, well, oh, that was in the past and I've, I've let it go, right? H- having never talked about it, having never processed it or integrated or, for, you know, really forgiven. And, and it starts to shape their life in this very unconscious way. And then they end up passing it down. And I love what you're saying. And I appreciate you sharing it because it, A, it's, it's not, it's not freaking easy, right? Like it's not easy to talk about these things in, in an open way. And, but, but, but secondly, um, it, it's so important. It's so important because we have to, we have to be the ones that stop the cycle. You know, like the, one of the main reasons I've talked about this multiple times that I started man talks in the first place is that, you know, I was, I was physically abused as a kid and, and emotionally abused. And so, you know, my, under, by, by a guy, you know, by a man. And, and so I think, uh, oftentimes we carry those things forward. And if, and if we're not careful, they, they shape us, they shape our personalities, our identities, our egos. 
and <laughs> and and then they end up being the thing that that drives us and holds us back from from the things that we really want and you know it's it's interesting because what you're talking about is really sort of becoming the version of ourselves that we that we see as possible you know i i i posted a i posted a a quote last night where i i said make choices from the person you're capable of becoming and the person you are will naturally change and and it's this idea it actually ties in perfectly to what you're saying about about this alter ego is that you can sort of create these create these alter egos and use them for uh, for sort of benefit of yourself, your family, because we're, we see ourselves in one way. Usually, you know, we see ourselves as, as this one unified person with all these different parts. Um, but it's very hard to imagine ourselves sometimes as something different, but we have a vision of who we believe we can be. So maybe, maybe give us and, and the, the listeners, um, just before we dive into this concept of the alter ego, which is very powerful, um, maybe just can you share a little bit around how speaking about your, you know, the trauma that you experienced and, and how processing this has has maybe set you free in a way or, or what what is produced in your life? What What is it allowed for you? Wow. I mean, to recount all of the wins would be difficult. Now, I'll say this. So the first time that I had shared it was on September the uh, 3rd, 2017. And I told a friend and then I went right back. I went right home and I told my wife. Uh, and the reason I told my friend, uh, close friend here in New York City was I was just, I just was just worn out. I was going through a lot of stuff professionally. I was going through, a, 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 I'd sued a former uh, business partner uh, so I was going through a major lawsuit here and, you know, just raising three children. There's just so many things. And I just, I couldn't kind of cope with it almost anymore. And I, so I told him, I just needed to get it out. And then I went home and told my wife and my wife's reaction was she almost laughed. And it wasn't because she, it was funny. It was because she was just like, oh, now I get you. Now I understand you. Like now I've got the whole book. Like there was this missing chapter where stuff didn't make sense as to like why you did things. Um, and now it all makes sense. So, but it wasn't a case where it was one step forward and then another, it was one step forward, two steps back. It was because this thing had been hidden away for so long and, you know, you just repress memories and then, you know, cause now that you're bringing it up and you're talking about it and all that and, and getting help. It was definitely that, that 2017 end of 2017 to, you know, a lot of 2018 just recently was extraordinarily difficult. Plus I'm writing a book and anyone who's written a book knows just how much of a challenge that is. Um, in many ways though, because this concept, I've been sitting with it for so long, like, you know, 15, 16 years, it was cathartic for me to even, uh, to, to write about it. But the big wins were just, the tremendous deepening of relationships with close friends and and just seeing how many people you know you you kind of fundamentally understand that people have your back but then when you actually start sharing the stuff that you've had to deal with it just it creates this opening for people to connect with you at a deeper level and understand you better and then just rally around you and, and help you in whatever way that, you know, they could help. And sometimes it's, you know, I wish I knew how to help you more, just that alone. But that's the biggest win by far and away is that 
deepening and connection of relationships, uh, a doorway into a new world of um, kind of opportunity, which is uh, I have started getting involved a lot more in the mental health world and and connecting with just phenomenal people here in New York and in the sports world and kind of possibly working on some really interesting projects going forward around it. And then, you know, then when I actually came up with it publicly, which was, which is very recent, I mean, within the first eight days, I had conversations with seven high achieving people that were, you know, suicidal, like they were very, very close. And so, which was exhausting to have those conversations, but I was at a place, you know, I would have never, I never, I would have never, I would, I never shared it publicly until I knew I had processed everything. And again, there's not everything can be processed. There's always like, you know, another level that you can go to, but, uh, and it wasn't about getting a like or a share or a comment or anything. It was literally, I wrote that post so that I, well, I wrote it and then I, I wrote it so that I could actually tell my family for the first time because none of them knew until December 31st, 2018. And I wrote it so that I could actually just tell the same story to everybody and read it. And that's what I did. I called all my siblings individually. I called my parents and yeah, it was, it was amazing to just get that out. And then, and then I posted it on, on, um, on social media and just, just, okay, it's out there. It's done. There's, I'm not hiding from this, you know, and because just that idea, which is where imposter syndrome can come in is that idea of people are going to find me out. And, and I didn't want to carry that anymore. I really wanted to go into 2019 with a sort of a, a clean emotional slate that I wasn't going to carry a bunch of stuff with me. And again, there's a lot more, there's a lot of, a lot to my story. I mean, I talk about it in the post, the fact that, um, you know, when I was abused and raped, um, it was videotaped and that videotape is a very, very popular video, apparently in the pedophile community and the kind of the, the dark side of that world. And I get pinged on, um, over the last long while with a link to the video or nowadays it's a GIF where, you know, people will pose as a, uh, a friend's email, like a friend's name as that email. So it comes through as Jason Gaynard um, in my email and you click on it and there's a gift there of, of yourself when you're 12 years old. And, you know, that stuff was obviously extraordinarily traumatizing every time it comes up. But um, yeah, so just processing that stuff and it still goes on. Like that's, that's never gonna, that's probably will never end. But um, yeah, so just, but to your to your question, I mean, just the phenomenal relationships that have developed out of it is is the biggest win always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting how people react to you know whether it's friends and family. I, I think one of the things that I would just love to maybe drive home and 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 reinforce out of what you just said is is really two things. One, you know, everybody's everybody's past traumas and you know wounding is is different. It doesn't have to show up in this way. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, people will often look at their past and, and sort of, sort of like whitewash or devalue what happened to them because they, they look at and hear other people's stories and they think, oh, mine wasn't as bad as theirs. And, and so I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this. It was just a one-time thing or, you know, it just, it just wasn't an optimal situation. And it's like, yeah, but those emotions from your childhood are still being carried forward because your identity as a kid, the the interesting thing, since we're talking about ego as a child, 
you're just a ball of ego, you know, like you think that everything is your fault, right? Like your parents get divorced at six or seven. The, 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 the child psyche doesn't actually differentiate between, oh, those are two adults that might have a problem with each other. And that's why they're getting divorced. They, they literally at a subconscious and unconscious level, look at that situation and say, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And, and so it's so important for us to understand that as adults, that oftentimes as a child, regardless of what happened, there's a, there's a part of that, that younger version of us that has taken it personally, whether we know that or not, and, and has sort of taken it upon themselves to say, you know, I was responsible for this in some way. And, and that's why the healing and the conversation and bringing it into light is so important so that younger version of ourselves can, can can sort of forgive themselves and then let it go. And se- and secondly, um, the the other piece that really stood out to me was this was this idea of how it impacts our our current situation with um, you know imposter syndrome and not feeling like we really know ourselves. Usually, when I see people that have that imposter syndrome happening, it's it's oftentimes because there has been something that has happened in the past that has given them the data or the information that they don't know themselves or can't claim can't claim themselves in a way that they would like to, and and that is that is so um, profound in a way because it can be liberating and it can it can free us. I also really appreciate the fact that you you know laid out some of the some of the pieces. And I think probably the most important piece, and I'll, I'll move on from this, but I think probably the most important piece from this is the advice or the insight that you gave around fully or or as fully as you can processing this before, you know, putting it out into the world, because there are very real ramifications, especially nowadays where we live in an age of, you know, people seeing a story like that and reaching Mm -hmm. out and being like, oh, you're Mm -hmm. a beta cuck. And, you know, just that kind of bullshit that's on the internet now, it's very real. And if, and if it hasn't been processed and the time hasn't been given to it in order for us to integrate it and heal properly, it can be very challenging, especially when friends or family, you know, maybe they don't react the way that we want to. So I really appreciate you not only sharing your story, but really, really saying, you know, to the listeners, like, make sure that you not only deal with this, but you deal with this as fully as possible before you start putting it out in the world. Cause the tendency is for people to be like, Oh my God, I realized something about myself and I'm going to go share it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, well, well, I mean, you're bringing out your, what you're doing then is you're bringing a really unhealthy need to something that is, that hasn't been processed fully. Like, you mean there, you should be at a real, I mean, just again, my opinion of it is that, and I think it's, it's rooted in some pretty good history, is you don't if you're if you're looking for any sort of external validation again it's that outside in approach of life if you're looking if there's if that is why you're doing it that is a very unhealthy place to be and again just that that mental health that mental psyche is can be pretty fragile now we are it's amazing what the what a human being can withstand and go through but when if it's like you know, some really serious traumatic stuff and you're doing it so that you can get likes or comments or some, you know, validation or attention, then boy, all you're doing is you're going to bury that in even deeper and it's going to take you just that much longer to have it processed. And mm-hmm. and by the way, like 
everyone doesn't have to go and share, right? Like it's, I was, I, I was doing it myself as, as a kind of cathartic process of just removal because I do lead a public life with the type of work that I do. Plus I was going to be um, going out and championing a lot more mental health stuff. I knew that that was a part of my future. And so I wanted to be able to talk about it openly and, you know, up until a couple of months ago, I would, I would not have been able to stand on a stage and say any of that story without probably breaking down. Um, but I had some just phenomenal breakthroughs at the end of you know 2018. But w- did those breakthroughs happen because of just that final six weeks? No, it was a constant moving towards it. And I wasn't going to face it down and move away from it. I was really going to process it because my bigger mission was that I, there was not a chance in hell that I was not that I or that I was going to pass any of this unneeded crap onto my children. You know, they deserve the they deserve the absolute best version of me that you know they can get because uh, they didn't ask for any of that stuff. And for me too, I want the absolute best version of myself showing up so that I can serve people in the best way that I can. Yeah, nice man. I I love it, and I I appreciate you. You know, just bringing this forward on on the podcast because you know more and more. More and more, I think these conversations are starting to come forward for for many many reasons. And I've I've started a a part of the podcast where I anonymously interview some of my clients, and they share mm-hmm. their story in a very real, raw, and authentic way. And you know, it's it's liberating because I think there's so many people that are out there who have lived with these types of scenarios, you know, in in silence behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really I really appreciate that. So. Let's. I, I want to circle back around to this idea of of the alter ego effect that you're talking yep. about because I think that once you know once we've done the work and we've processed through some of these things and you know we're we're really looking at how do we be the most effective leader in our family in our in our career with ourselves. Um, I love this concept because you know something that. Uh, you talk about is like I think I think the tagline for your book is something like the the power of secret identities uh, to transform yeah. your life, and it, so I would love for you to just maybe give us a little bit of context for what the alter ego yeah. is and what what the effect is that you that, sure. that it can have when you actually start to utilize it. Yeah. Um, well, first, the alter ego um, the, the term itself was first coined and used in 44 BC by Cicero the famous Roman philosopher and statesman and, um, you know, has basically been kind of argued as being, if not the most important, one of the most important Roman philosophers um, that ever lived. And uh, a year later, he was actually murdered. And what I, what the reason I say that is only because Cicero mentioned alter ego at the end of his life when he was his most wisest self, a most wise self. Okay. And so he'd lived a long time and again, has gone down as one of the most prolific um, philosophers. And, and that's important to know because I think we've all come across those people who've, they've lived a good hard life or whatever, and they just drop wisdom bombs on us all the time. That's why I, I love, you know, hanging out with, you know, people with, you know, a little bit longer in the tooth kind of thing that have, you know, definitely challenged life because they do, they just have some very pragmatic wisdom with them. But 
that's important to note simply because it wasn't a dude on a street corner who's saying, go have an alter ego. No, this is one of the most wise people who ever lived. And he talked about it, but the alter ego is root. The, the, the term itself means the other I or trusted friend. The problem with the term nowadays is that people think of alter ego as a veneer that people put on the classic fake it till you make it, which couldn't be further from the truth of the idea of the alter ego effect or the method that you use to develop one, because it truly is a trusted friend that you use. It's an ally that you bring inside yourself to help draw out the natural capabilities that you know that you have. You had said before about the importance for people to be able to develop. They have this vision of the person that they'd like to become. Really though, in the work that I've done with people is people have an inner knowledge that they are already that person and they're not honoring it. And that's what creates this trapped self. Nothing is more frustrating to someone when they know that they have the ability to go do something. Maybe they don't have all the skills yet, right? But they have the ability to at least move towards the goal or the ambition, whatever it might be, and they're not doing it. And that's what's important. In in chapter three of my book, I actually break down the entire model of what I call the uh, the structure of the self and the extraordinary and ordinary world and um, and what happens. And so in this ordinary world where we're getting results that we actually don't want or they're not as uh, premium as we know that they could be, it creates this inner sensation, this feeling, this identity of being a trapped self because we know all of us isn't getting out there. Conversely, on the extraordinary side of things, it's not that the world is any, you know, different. It's not, you know, bubble gum, you know, gumdrops and candy canes and rainbows over there. Challenges and obstacles are over there as well. But you're operating from an inside out approach, not an outside in approach. You're operating from an, I'm going to draw this core heroic self out onto that field because that's my intention. Now we can use now that trusted friend, that alter ego as the bridge to make that happen. Because like I said, the one of the powers that human beings have, and it's so ignored. And yet Einstein said, it's one of our, it's our greatest gift is the power of our imagination, not knowledge. Um, is that we have this creative imagination. It's truly the only thing that makes human beings unique on this planet. Loving other people is not something that makes human beings unique. I'm not saying it's not powerful, but it's not what makes us unique. Other animals show affection and love and caring. But we are the only animal on the planet that can truly use this imagination mechanism in our heads to suspend disbelief to create heavens from hell and hells from heaven, right? And so what an alter ego does is it taps into many, many psychological phenomenon that we have that I talk about in the book. One of them, just think about it. It's the classic grass is greener on the other side effect. I have this narrative around who Connor Beaton is because I've lived my life. I know every single, you know, um, scrape and cut and trauma and, um, you know, thing that's happened to me. And, also, human beings have a fantastic ability to completely ignore their achievements and their wins. A lot of times we don't capture them. We only, we go, well, I should have done that better. And I, you know, missed that um, opportunity or what, 
whatever the case is, but we, we look at others and we create this great glossy veneer. Well, in my head, as someone who's helping people performance, I'm like, fantastic. Let's use that. I'm going to use that with someone then to help move them past whatever their insecurities are. And let's leverage that. And let's have that person go out there as James Bond, or let's have that person tap into those abilities that James Bond has, whatever that you know is to you and step in through those um, uh, and act through that ability. So we do this all the time, this creative imagination it's, it's, and, it, and we ignore it. And yet it's, it's, it's the very thing that can help people go out and achieve what they want to go out and achieve. And I tell her the story in the book of um, Bo Jackson, as an example, it's a very thing that leads off the, the book. Mm-hmm. And so Bo Jackson, obviously a prolific athlete, um, if not one of the greatest athletes of all time, it's a pretty hard argument to beat because he's the only athlete in history that's was an, uh, an all-star in two major professional sports in North America, you know, NFL and Canadian football league. So I was at a speech down in Atlanta a long time ago, and I was in the green room waiting before I was going to call it on stage in a, in a few minutes. And all of a sudden in through the doorway comes this, perfect physical specimen, Bo Jackson. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, that's Bo Jackson. I played him on Nintendo all the time as a kid. <laughs> and and so he walks over to me and he says, hi, I'm Bo Jackson. I said, yeah, I know who you are. I wouldn't be very good uh, as a sports practitioner if I didn't know who you know this phenom of an athlete was. And I played you a lot on Tecmo Bowl as a kid. You won me a lot of games. And uh, he laughed. He said, yeah, you're not the first one to say that. Because if people don't know, um, in the early versions of Nintendo, um, Bo Jackson was essentially the cheat code um, for that game. You basically handed off the ball to Bo Jackson. He couldn't be tackled. He, little, he legitimately, you could not tackle him. You could maybe push him out of bounds, yeah. but that was about it. And, uh, and so he laughed and then he said, so what are you going to be talking about today? And I said, well, I'm going to talk to the kids about, you know, the mental game, but specifically I'm going to talk to them about using an alter ego as a way to draw out their real capabilities on the, on the field. And it helps them get into the zone and flow state as well. And he looked at me and he got this like puzzled look on his face, kind of cocked his head to the side. And he said, Bo Jackson never played a down of football his entire life. And I was like, interesting, tell me more. And he said, well, you know, if you know my history, I was an angry kid growing up and, um, you know, I get into some trouble. And uh, while it sounds like that would be great to take onto the football field, it would, I would take unnecessary penalties, hard to coach kind of thing. And it was, it, it wasn't working for me. And so one night I was watching a movie and I saw this character come on the screen that was like cold, calculating, methodical, unemotional. And I thought to myself, wait a second, what if I brought that onto the football field? instead. And it was Jason from Friday the 13th. So his alter ego, an angry kid was actually Jason from Friday the 13th. And that's what he took onto the field. And it sounds crazy. Sometimes it sounds crazy. to Other people are like, wait, why would you use that one? Why wouldn't I be Yoda? Because it doesn't matter where your inspiration comes from. It's your takeaway. <laughs> it's your takeaway. Because to him, that's what he needed. He needed to be cold, calculating, methodical, and unemotional. And he saw it come on the screen where just he kept on marching towards people. And, and so he said, I'm sure you're going to maybe talk to the kids about goals, but, um, you know, I didn't have a goal ever. I had a mission. I had one mission and that was to destroy anything that got in my path, just like Jason would. And it was, it was such a powerful confirmation. I'd already started working, um, with people on the concept for about a year and a half already and had a couple of pro clients that I was working on it with, but 
to hear Bo talk about it. And then he was just amazed that A, someone got paid to professionally build alter egos for people, but that it was actually a real thing. He, he sort of stumbled onto it. And, um, and I, and I'm like, no, no, it's, it's, it's one of the most natural things that we do. It's just that we, we get the creative imagination beat out of us, whether it's through institutional education, whether it's, you know, we, um, we, we kind of take on this internal narrative that growing up means leaving some of the, that playful part of ourselves behind. And yet it's the very thing that can set people's performance free. And, and we had, we had a great conversation about it. And, um, and it was in the book, I talk about tons of different stories, uh, on, on how to, how to leverage it on many different fields of play, whether it's at home with your kids or whether it's in business and presentations and, and so forth. So there's, there's so much science behind this. I'll give you one more example here. Um, cause it's something that everyone could understand. There's a uh, psychological phenomenon called enclosed cognition. Enclosed cognition is that we all attribute meaning to the things that we wear, some things more powerfully than others. And an example of this to test it was done at the Kellogg School of Management. They brought a bunch of students into a room. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those uh, word puzzles where it's like five boxes across and five boxes down. So there's 25 total boxes. And in each one of the boxes is the word of a color. So let's say mm-hmm. green but it's actually colored in a different color. So the word green, but it's in yellow. And then red is blue. And so what you need to do when doing this puzzle is you need to say the actual color name. And it's a real trick in the mind because you, you actually see yellow, but the word is green. And, and it's, you got to like cognitively kind of switch back and forth. So they brought this group of kids into the room, students, and they got them to do the puzzle and they were testing their attention and accuracy and how many mistakes they made and then speed. So all these kids, they do uh, the exercise, they leave the room and then they bring in another group and they hand them a white coat to put on and they tell them that it's a painter's coat and then they get them to do the exercise. So they're looking at you know the word brown, but really it's colored in blue and they've got to say the word brown. So they catalog all the answers and or the, the data and they move them out of the room and then they bring in another group. And this time they hand them the same white coat as the previous group, except this time they tell them that it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat. And they get them to do the exercise and they catalog the answer or the results. Now, what do you think the difference was between the people who had the painter's coat on and the people who were in the plain clothes, the first group? Oh man, I feel like the people in the painter's coat might might have adopted recognizing the colors rather than the words behind them. Well, the, but in the, in the data they're collecting, which is like they're tracking how many mistakes that they made and how quickly that they did it, there was no difference. They made the same amount of mistakes. They really? didn't do it any faster, same amount of errors, same, same amount of like attention and accuracy was cataloged. Now, you take the second group, the lab coat, doctor's coat wearing uh, group, they were able to complete the exercise in less than half the time and they displayed higher levels of concentration skills and uh, accuracy because they made those less mistakes um, and they moved through it more quickly. So, but it's the same coat, but it was the meaning that was attached to it. They were told it was a painter's coat and they were told that it was a lab coat. Okay, so why does this matter? Well, we all do this. We all put on 
something that makes us feel better, right? We're enclothing ourselves with a cognitive story of what that thing means. So now for me, as someone who's trying to help someone perform and using every single psychological phenomenon I possibly can to help someone get out of their own way, I'm like, wonderful. So myself, how I use this, this is why I be, you know, fell into this so easily to, to work with other people. When I played football, I was, uh, I was a kind of a highly scouted um, high school football player, had a bunch of different scholarships. I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well. Um, typically, badminton and football don't go well together. But And it's not like I'm a physical specimen by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, you know, I was six feet tall. And when I played football in high school, I was like 156 pounds soaking wet. But I played way bigger than my size because I never played as Todd. I never played as Todd. I went out as this composite alter ego. I loved Walter Payton. I loved Ronnie Lott two Hall of Fame football players. And I'm a huge Native American fan buff kind of thing. And um, I created this tribe in my head and my my alter ego's name was Geronimo. The composite of everybody came together to create this transformer type you know, person and it was Geronimo. Um, <laughs> and I went through this process before every single game where I would take Ronnie Lott's and Walter Payton's trading cards and I'd put Ronnie Lott's trading card or sorry, Walter Payton's trading card in my helmet. I'd stuff it in. Then I'd take Ronnie Lotz because I wanted to think like Walter Payton. And then I took Ronnie Lotz and I put them underneath each shoulder pad because I wanted to hit like him. And then I took Walter Payton's, the final two, mm-hmm. and I'd stuff one in my thigh pad and the other one in the other thigh pad because I wanted to run like Ronnie or run like uh, Walter. And then that final kind mm-hmm. of activating event, right? Just like when you're putting on the lab coat was in my mind when I'm in my mental movie theater. Walter is handing me the cards in my head and saying, here you go. Take a piece of us with you on that field, but don't you dare dishonor who we are and how we played by not showing up like we would. And, and it's that, that was important mm. to honor that alter ego. The moment that you start showing up, as a trapped self, as insecure or worrying about what other people are thinking of you, whatever the case is, boom, like whatever that thing is you're using to activate that, take it off. Get rid- You can't have it on because Walter wouldn't do that. Ronnie wouldn't do that. Geronimo wouldn't do that. And then the final switch with me was when I put on that helmet. And that was when I would step into Geronimo. And then I translate that to when I, became, when I got into business. I was young, 21, starting a business, insecure. I looked like I was 12. Who's going to listen to me on a stage talking about mental game stuff? You know, I don't have a degree in it or anything like that, but I was really good at it. I was really good at teaching it to young kids because I'd already been doing it. And it wasn't a business. I just was volunteering at a high school, teaching high school defensive backs and spent a lot of time with them on the mental game. And then a couple people started asking me to come out and do a couple workshops, not paid. They were just like, hey, can you come talk about this? Love to. I loved sport, but I was insecure. And so I just this idea, I'm like, wait a second. I use the alter ego in, in sport. Why don't I use it in business? And I went back to, well, who do I want to show up as? Well, I want to show up as someone who's articulate and confident and decisive. All the things that I lacked at the time, I did not feel confident. I was so caught up in my own head about what other people were thinking of me. And so immediately just had this kind of flash of insight around, well, when I was growing up, everyone around me who I respected that I thought was really smart wore glasses, you know, in my 
small little grade, grade school, Mark, the smartest kid in my class, glasses. Year below me, James, he had glasses. So you, I adopted these beliefs at a young age that people who wore glasses were smart. So I went to Lens Crafters in West Edmonton Mall where I was living at the time. And I bought a pair of non-prescription glasses long before wearing glasses was like a fashion thing, right? And even the optometrist was like, you want a pair of non-prescription glasses? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, that doesn't make it. And I'm like, can you please just give me the glasses? Um, and that's what I would do. I called it my reverse Superman. Superman put on glasses to become the mild-mannered Clark Kent. Well, I didn't want to be mild-mannered. I wanted to step into the Superman version of myself in business. So I put on the glasses and that was me. Put It's the enclosed cognition. That's the activating uh, event. But I talk in the book about so many people that have used this throughout history, public figures, like extraordinarily successful people that some people are shocked to have used some elements of this in order to do the difficult things um, and, and challenge themselves. But it, it's, it also, again, for me to think about, again, my history of dealing with like a lot of trauma, this was my way of escaping that sometimes and having a more playful and fun you know, self that would go out there because most of the time I was wrapped with just, you know, just difficult emotions. And it was, you know, my ability to kind of re-engineer going out onto the football field where I just felt like I was free and then doing the same thing uh, for myself in business. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's incredible, man, because it's, you know, it almost that, that, uh, that, that story, that narrative, that idea, that concept that really ties into, you know, a lot of other psychological traits and, and concepts like, you know, Carl Jung talked about the collective unconscious and that we all have, we, you know, un, underneath our conscious, underneath our subconscious, we have this sort of collective unconscious that is interconnected with everyone else's. And it's the, and for him, he talked about how we have the capacity and the ability to really tap into what other people, um, not, not that we can be psychic of them, but we have the ability to embody them and embody some of their characteristics. And so what you're talking about is, is really a, a foundational piece of, of psychology, but also like you're saying, such an incredible tool that a lot of, a lot of really successful people have used. So I, I love it, man. I think it's such a, <clears throat> such an interesting concept and I feel like we could go on and on and, and in depth on this, on this topic. Um, you know, unfortunately we're, we're, we're pretty much, uh, done for today, but I, I feel like I'm going to have to have you back on the show and we'll, we'll maybe do like a video interview and dive, dive deeper into this and, and maybe look at, uh, you know, a few more case studies and actually how people can, can really integrate this into their life, you know, in a, in a very tactical, tangible sort of way. Um, which I'm sure that you uh, you know outline it in the in the book. Uh, so when just last questions when when is the book launching and and where uh, where should people go to to find it? Well, it launches February 5th, so probably by the time this is out, it's it's out there in the U.S. and Canada, and it's released you know around the world as well. But um, yeah, they can go to you know any one of their favorite places to buy it. But um, I also have additional resources at alteregoeffect.com. My home base on the internet is toddherman.me. Um, and, you know, you can find out more about the stuff that I'm up to and, you know, who and how I help people. But uh, yeah, no, this was a great chat as I knew it would be.
Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, I think next time I have you back on the show, we'll have to talk about Alberta antics. <laughs> I feel like there's definitely there's definitely some stories that we could get into there, uh, which I'm sure that the listeners would love to hear more about. So um, yeah, I, I loved having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, everybody that uh, that's out there listening to this, that's tuned into this, Definitely go check out Todd's site. There's some great wisdom there. Check out the book, The Alter Ego, uh, especially if this conversation really landed and resonated with you. Don't forget to man it forward. Share this podcast episode with just one person. It goes a long way uh, into getting the, this into the ears and, and onto the phones of other people, uh, especially if you know someone uh, that could benefit from listening to this conversation, whether it was uh, earlier on where we were talking about trauma and the you know the ego and the identity or with this concept of the alter ego and being able to push through uh, some of the obstacles and, and resistance that we naturally have in life. Uh, so uh, that's that's it for this week. Uh, don't forget to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever platform you use. Leave us a rating and review. Uh, and until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Thank you.